Winston Parker had a handout. Some of us may have missed. Don Whaley has copies. If, in fact, you missed any, if, if you could just raise your hand, and Don will get your copies of it. Okay, Don. Jeez. Bob Foster is going to talk about crafting a godly lifestyle from Proverbs Part 1. I didn't have the opportunity to hear him earlier um, in my short Christian walk. I need to tell you that he's been very encouraging to me as I've heard him on tape. And I'm very excited about uh, hearing his wisdom. Mr. Bob Foster. Good. Got a new map for this afternoon, so we'll do away with that one. I do have some brochures of the ranch, uh, just so you know that there is a place called Lost Valley. And uh, for your information or anybody you know that would like to vacation in Colorado, why, we're there. One of those who came to our ranch. His name Wally. Wally lived in the Ozarks, a little bitty town down in Missouri, uh, surrounded by really forests and rivers, creeks, whatever. Uh, and he saved up his money. And uh, you better save your money if you're going to come to the ranch. And, uh, we will extract it. And. Uh, The ranch is primarily for non-Christians, but we need Christians there, and the way we keep a lot of Christians out, we keep raising the rates. And, uh, but Wally came. Came in a, a pickup truck with Missouri license plates, and in the uh, back end of the uh, pickup, contrary to what we do in Colorado, we usually put in uh, a lot of uh, pieces of firewood or uh, old tires with concrete in the middle, just for weight on the back end of the pickup. And his was not a four-wheel drive. And uh, But he had two great big uh, chunks of oak in the back, long pieces. And I figure it was for weight on the back end of the pickup. And each one of them was about seven, eight foot long. And uh, obviously came out of uh, the woods of uh, Missouri. He didn't ride horses. And I was a little concerned if he was going to have a good week. He arrived on Sunday, as most of our guests do. And so uh, after the ride on Monday morning and I got back, I take the beginners out. We call them the, the tea and crumpet set. And uh, we, we go out of the corral and sit on our horses and wait till everybody else left. And then we go back into the corral, get off our horses and... and uh, Go up and get some refreshment. Uh, no, not really that bad, but almost. And uh, so after the ride got, I took my ride in, I went up to his cabin to see if he was sick. And he was sitting out in the front of his cabin, and he had a little contraption he was sitting on, and he had a drawbar. And he was working one of these pieces of oak, taking not only the bark off, but... The bark was already gone, and the shavings all over the place. And uh, he had a contraption where he was he could turn it uh, with a little hook, and he was drawing it. And uh, I said, 
What are you doing? He said, uh, I'm doing what my great-grandfather did over in Germany. I said, what are you making? He said, uh, do I have to tell you? And I said, no, you don't have to. I'm just curious. It's a great big long piece of oak. He said, why don't you wait and see the finished product? And uh, this was just before lunch. And so I just sat down there on the steps of his cabin and uh, was watching him working over. And he wanted to talk. And uh, he said, my great-grandfather learned to be a craftsman of wood in Germany. And uh, he came over... uh, right after World War I. And uh, my uh, grandfather was born here. And then my father, my grandfather, uh, forgot how old his grandfather was, but he said, each one of us has had to learn how to work wood. We've been trained by a mentor. My father taught me, his father taught him, his father taught him. He said, I have never been married. I don't have any children. But he said, I have a couple boys in my little town there, Paxton, Missouri, that I am teaching the trade to. This was on Monday. On Friday, he came to me and he said, if you'd like to come up to the cabin, I'll show you what I have. And so sometime between Monday and Friday, he had crafted a beautiful ox yoke. About this wide, it's got a curve, uh, two curves where the neck of the oxen would be. And he had a drill, and he had drilled uh, four holes. And in the pair of holes, he had some wood that he had worked before he got there, made it a loop. And uh, that loop came around the neck of the oxen and went up into the yoke. And uh, he had a little cross piece in there that hold it in there. All by hand. Sharp knives. Done it for years. Ox yoke. You know what it looks like? Keep the two oxen like a harness. Piece of wood. Probably about this thick. And probably about this long. And uh, he had no physical design was all up in here. He just had done it so many times. So he said to me, he said, uh, Monkey is a uh, neat little dog you have here. I said, yeah, Monkey uh, runs on three legs. He got his other leg caught in a trap. Somebody was trapping for beaver and Monkey got into the beaver pond and got caught in the trap and it was in the winter time and the bottom of his leg was frozen so we had to amputate it or the vet did. And so I said, Monkey uh, is our mathematical dog. Uh, three carry one. And uh, he said, well, did you know that Monkey has been spending the nights with me? And I said, no, that sounds like Monkey. He said, uh, any chance of my buying Monkey? And I looked at that ox yoke. <laughs> So, uh, Monkey on Sunday drove out. (laughs) Looked like he owned that pickup, you know, with Wally. And I had the ox yoke. 
If you've been to the ranch or if you're going to come to the ranch, you'll see it. It's right at the entrance of our lodge, uh, hanging up there above the entrance. Uh, We've never used it because we don't have oxen. But it's a reminder to me that there there are still men who are craftsmen. It's pretty much gone out of style, hasn't it? Where we learn it from another, how to do it. About the only time I see it is when I go into Sears and I get a craftsman tool, huh? (laughs) But that tool does not make a craftsman. The book of Proverbs is from a dad to his son, the future leaders of Israel, on how to craft a godly lifestyle in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Proverbs? And uh, we're going to pitch our tent this afternoon on chapter 2. But the introduction is chapter 1. And then I'd like to have you do a little homework for tomorrow. I speak late afternoon so I can speak and run. Uh, and get out of here before I am crucified or whatever. Uh, But would you read chapter 6 for tomorrow afternoon? There are very few chapters in Proverbs that tie together. So many of the verses are individual or just simple little uh, Proverbs. They stand on their own. But chapter 2 and chapter 6 do have a, a central theme. And we're going to look at crafting a lifestyle in chapter 2 this afternoon and then tomorrow afternoon. Uh, if the Lord comes before then, I'm going to ask Bill McGoon if he would take my place. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, follow through. He can choose whatever topic he wants. Uh, probably he'll be speaking on what happened when the Lord came. Uh, now, Bill's going to be with me. And the wonderful thing about it is that Bill and I are going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ when he comes, huh? That's why we call it the blessed hope. And the soon appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The older I get, the more I'm looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe it's imminent. Winston, I don't know how many years ago, but in one of the hotels in Colorado Springs, Walt Hendrickson gave a prophetic message that he felt that perhaps the Lord was going to come before the year 2000. Uh, Walt is on track on most things, and I sure hope he's on track on that one. Uh, wouldn't it be great if he'd come in our lifetime? Wouldn't it, become if, wouldn't it be neat if he would come today? Even before we hear Walt on purity. For the, for the bill. Because we're going to be purified when he comes. I'm going to be as holy as he is holy. Right now, I want to be as holy as holy God can make a sinner saved by grace. But that day is going to come. Okay, some of you are still trying to find Proverbs. Uh,
3 minus 1. Five books of Moses. Let's hear them. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then there are 12 books of history. After Deuteronomy comes what? Joshua. Joshua. Let's go. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. First and second. Well, wait a minute. What kind of a Bible do you have? What comes first? Chronicles, Judges, or Kings? Huh? First and second? Samuel. First and second? First and second? Chronicles. No, no, no. Not Job. Those are the twelve books of history. These we call the Pentateuch. Five books of Moses. Twelve books history. Now comes the five books of poetry. The same. Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then there comes five major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Major not because they're more important, but they're longer by and large. Bigger. Isaiah, 66 chapters, the Bible in miniature. And then there comes 12 chapters of what we call minor prophets. Minor in the sense of smaller. Okay? Anybody want to take a venture on saying those 12? What is the last of the major prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. What follows Daniel? Okay, let's start. See if you can say it with me. Hosea, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Oh, I followed you up, didn't I? What comes after Daniel? What comes after Hosea? What? Joel. Amos. Obadiah. Jonah. Micah. Nahum. Habakkuk. Zephaniah. Haggai. Zechariah. Malachi. How many books in the Old Testament? Yeah. How many books in the New Testament? 27. 27. Yeah. Gentlemen, if you do not know the books of the Bible, memorize them. Think through on them. This is a little help. 512, 5512. And get them into your thinking process. Get to know this book. The most precious book that you'll ever possess. Wow. So now we have opened up to the book of Proverbs. Some of you have finally found it. It's there. <laughs> Follow along. The first six verses of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Interesting introduction, huh? Not just Solomon, the king of Israel, but Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. 
to know wisdom and instruction. That's the first thing that he wants us, he's writing this book about. Number two, to perceive the words of understanding. Number three, to receive the instruction of wisdom, righteousness, justice, and equity. And four, the reason for writing the book, to give prudence to the simple. To the young man, knowledge and direction. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain unto wise counsel. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. And then, through the (laughs) first nine chapters, my son, my son, my son over and over and over again the book of Proverbs has been written to instruct young men on how to lead the nation now there's other things in this book but that basically is what it's all about and I'm talking to a band of men your son or sons included that one of these days you're going to be in a position of leadership you are now in your school in your community on your ball team in your church if somebody is following you you are a leader and all of you dads all of you men in one way or another are a leader and Solomon writes to us and said Bob, I want to help you craft a godly lifestyle. I want to help you to become all that you want to become. The introduction chapter is how to get a hold of this wisdom. Jesus Christ has been made unto us wisdom. Wisdom is more than just knowledge, huh? Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Understanding is taking those facts and applying them. Wisdom is the ability to see the big picture from God's perspective. How am I possibly going to craft a godly lifestyle? So let's turn to the second chapter of this wonderful book. And I'm going to divide it into three unequal parts. Part number one is verses one through four. And if you need a a theme for that, it'd be the word if. Verses one through four. Then beginning with verse five, it is the word then. Now we have different translations of the Bible. All kinds of Bibles I see and hear as you have read them and so forth. But basically the outline is the same because I've got most all these Bibles and I've looked it up. But the then section is verses 5 through 11. And then the therefore, as a result of the first two, is verses 11 through the end of the chapter... Uh, which is verse 19, or 22 rather. I guess I better put it up there so you can see it. 
can I craft a godly lifestyle? I can't do it. But as Wally learned it from his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather, so we learn it from others. We learn it from our pastor. We learn it from dad and mother. We learn it from conferences. We learn it as we sit under the feet of the Lord. And he teaches us. Now, Paul had special revelation that uh, Winston was referring to when he got off into the Arabian desert for three years and things that he could not even utter. It seemed like he was caught up into the heavens of heavens. Things that were, he couldn't utter them. It was so marvelous. The book of Revel, uh, the book of Romans, for instance, and the book of Ephesians probably came out of that experience. But God does want us to work at becoming a godly man, a godly teenager, a godly son. And it isn't good enough, boys, just for your father. He wants you to be that kind. Dad should be setting an example for you. But he wants you to start right now. It's it's always too it's never too soon to begin, huh? Wanting to become a man of God. So we look at chapter two. My son, if verse three, my son, if verse four, my son, if That's the if section. If what? If you will receive my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Notice the verbs and adverbs in verses 2 through 4. Incline, apply, cry, lift your voice, seek for her as silver, search for her as for hid treasures. If, if, but we just don't have the time. My son, if you will, but dad, I'm busy. I'm making a buck. I got a family to support. I'm trying to take some extra education. I'm taking two jobs. Solomon comes back and says, My son, if you will do this. We all want this down here. And we want this here. But there's very few of us are willing to pay the price. If you will receive my words, if you will lay up my commandments, if you will incline your heart to wisdom, if you will apply your heart to understanding, if you will cry for knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you will seek for her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then we want to bypass the tough work the discipline the sweat the blood and the tears 
somehow or other God take me into the Arabian desert and give me all this by your revelation. And he could. But Solomon says, my son, by and large, that's not the way it's going to happen. You see, verse 5 The result of verses 1 through 4 is, Then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord, and you'll find the knowledge of God. Winston quoted from uh, Philippians 3. The verse just before. 3.10 That I may what? Know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul wanted to know Jesus Christ. I was dating a young lady in college who became my wife eventually. After I got her away from that turkey she was dating, and uh, he was a pre-seminarian, he was in the glee club, and I was a jock over in the gymnasium, and uh, after a few dates, I, I said, can I come out to California and see you? We were going to school in Wheaton, Illinois, and uh, I was working in the summer on the painting crew, and and she said, well, yeah, I checked with my parents. And, and I didn't ask her about this other guy, uh, where he was or what he was going to be doing. I wanted to go out and see her. And so I did. At the end of the summer, I'd saved up some bucks and went out to California. She lived in uh, Glendale. And I can remember coming back. We'd been up to a conference uh, up in the San Bernardino Mountains and driving back in she said, Bob, she said, you don't really know me. But uh, I don't think that you would really like me as well as you think that you like me if you knew me. Did you ever have a girl tell you that? You just don't know me. <laughs> well, I didn't know her, you know. I had a few dates with her as with the sophomores, and this was between uh, sophomore and junior years of college. I haven't forgotten that. You know, I spent the next uh, 55 years getting to know her. (laughs) We sing that song, getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. Wow. How much time do I spend just getting to know God? Oh, I want verse 5. Then you shall understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. Verse 5 is a result of the discipline of verses 1 through 4. If I will receive and lay up and climb and apply and cry and lift, and like the gold diggers of California or Colorado gave their life to find silver and gold. Price to pay, huh? Winston was right on this morning. We have a choice. And most of us know what the choice should be, huh? To lay it on the line, but boy, boy, it's hard to pay that price.
I want to know His words. I want to know His commandments. I want to know wisdom and understanding and knowledge. If I will seek for her as silver and search for her as gold. My family and I moved to Colorado Springs in January of 57. For whatever it means, I was administrative vice president of the Navigators in charge of Glen Area and the work of the United States. But on my heart, I wanted to find a business that I could get involved in. And with Jim Rayburn, who was the founder of Young Life, I traveled around looking at, he was trying to find a place for the parents of the teenagers that they were involved with. Between uh, the summer of 57 and the summer of 60, I visited every guest ranch in Colorado, even those that were not for sale. I looked at 10 up in uh, Wyoming. I looked at four up in Montana. All told, I looked at 60 different operations. I thought this is what Mary and I like to get into. I didn't know this, but Marion kept track of the days involved and the money that came out of our budget for travel and hotels and whatever else, incidentals, meals. And between the summer of 57 and the summer of 60, those four years, this guy spent in cash somewhere around $30,000, several hundred hours just in travel. When I say several hundred, it's well over 500 hours. I didn't know she was doing this. And she kept track because finally in 1960, why we found Lost Valley, it wasn't for sale when I first looked at it, and now it was for sale, and we settled on it that time. Then she gave me this little notebook that she'd been keeping track on for no other reason than she knew that I was intent on finding something that we could give our life to. I wanted to craft a business opportunity in the hospitality field. And I was willing to research the competition and all that was going on in order to know what was going on so when I got involved in it I had some kind of a knowledge of it I still have that little notebook little spiral thing up on the top probably 15-20 pages of money and time God speaks to my heart Bob, you'll do that to buy a guest ranch to investigate the possibility of crafting a business how much are you willing to do just to get to know me remember when we mentioned that little book of Hosea interesting love story would you turn with me to the book can you find it in your bible Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea Hosea, there it is 
Come on, turn with me. Right after Daniel. Right after the lions. Let him go. He had no choice. God shut their mouths. Hosea 6.6. Easy verse to remember by the reference. Hosea. Hosea 6.6. Listen to it. I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What's God saying? I don't care how much you tithe and give to the Lord and sacrifice for the church and get involved in the things of the Lord. That's nothing if you don't have a heart to get to know God. One of the purposes of this weekend conference is to lay upon you a desire just to get to know Him. I wrote down here in my notes, Isaiah knew Him as their deliverer. Job knew Him as his Redeemer. David knew Him as a helper. The Samaritans, John 4, knew Him as a Savior. The Apostle knew him the apostles knew him as the provider paul knew him as his keeper what was it yesterday uh, jim yeah let us in uh, jeremiah 9:23 and 24 the conclusion is not your money nor your wisdom nor your power but let him that glories glory in this what that he knows me, that I am the Lord. I know this comes from a very biased opinion, but in a very limited way, I do not know a man of God who does not have an intimate relationship and knowledge of God. There may be some, I don't know them, You can have a head knowledge. But if you want to craft a godly lifestyle, you have to begin with these verses 1 through 4 of Proverbs 2. You've got to pay the price. Something has to give, huh? signed a contract with Dick Patterson for the purchase of a ranch. He wanted $70,000 down and the balance he would take a second mortgage. He didn't want very much. First National Bank of Denver had the first mortgage but when Dick sold it, why they called in their note. We couldn't get a first mortgage because we were not going to have a liquor license. And a resort, an operation like that, does not exist without a bar. 
Even Christians on long committees said, Bob, I'm sorry. But the policy is, an operation like that, it's doomed to failure. It's almost as bad as a gas station or a restaurant without a bar. Without liquor, you cannot make it go. Some of you guys know Gene Ward down in Oklahoma City, and Gene said to me, Bob, it won't work. It won't fly. Either it would be a great ministry and a lousy business or a great business and a lousy ministry. You cannot combine the two. Well, I said, Gene, guess we don't even have to worry because I can't even get a first mortgage. And so I called one of our guests who is a veterinarian over in Kansas State, Bob Tussick. And I said, Bob, I'm not even sure we're going to be able to open up this summer, summer of 61, because I, I said, we can't get this thing financed. And I lose what we had given to Dick, $25,000, to anchor the thing. How much do you need? I said, well, First National is carrying us for 100000 Oh, he said, I think we can take care of that. A veterinarian in Kansas State? Lo and behold, his father owned a huge hay ranch up near Kremlin, Colorado. And he had just sold the water rights off of the ranch to the city of Denver for $5 million. And he had called his son, he has four or five sons, Tossigs. The boys are now running the ranch, dad is with the Lord. And uh, he called his son over there in Manhattan, Kansas and said, Son, if you know of any good investments, let me know. I've got to do something with this money. Just don't want to put it in the bank. If you know anything that's good for the Lord's work, let me know. <laughs> Isn't that neat? Who would ever guess that a, a rancher up in Kremlin, Colorado would have the money to invest in, in our little old operation? Well, why do I tell you this story? It's because verses 1 through 4. I wanted to get to know the Lord, but I got, I didn't get off track, but I became so possessed that this is the way. And boy, those were the tough months of my life back there in January, February, and March of 61. And we had to the end of April to take care of First National and Denver or we'd lose the whole kit and caboodle. And during those days, God spoke to me from these verses, if you will stay with me, if you will do this, if you will keep on digging and digging and digging. There's nothing glamorous about Scripture memory. There's not much fun in prayer time. Because prayer says, I can't. God, you've got to do it. And it's hard on me to feel I can't do something. It's hard to dig into the Word. That Acts 17.11 business we heard about last night, huh? Search the Scriptures and see whether those things are so. But then beginning with verse 5, Then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. 
He keepeth the paths of the just and preserveth the way of the saints. If I will do my part, if I will do what God is asking me to find Him and to know Him, then He says, this is what I'll do. The end of the assembly line (laughs) are God's goodies, huh? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the next phrase? Give us this day our... And yet He gives us... Wow. Apple pie a la mode. Ah, Steaks. Mashed potatoes with gravy. Corn on the cob. Wonderful salads. And then he said, would you like to go into another room and I've got a strawberry milkshake for you. (laughs) And all I'm praying for is, Lord, just give me my daily bread. Isn't that neat? Look at what he's given to you. And we didn't do that. all we deserve is hell. And he's given us all of this. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. That... And that's not talking about heaven alone. That's right now. Then. Then you'll understand. Look at verse 9. Then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity. Yea, every good path. But then goes back to verses 1 through 4. I had a pastor, godly man. His name was Howard Hansen. I knew him well enough that I could call him Howard. And we used to have a restaurant in Callow Springs called Rue Oven on the main drag, Tejon, North Tejon, right across from the park, city park. And the church is a block away. So once a month, Dr. Hansen and I would have lunch at Ruth's Oven. And so this one time I said, uh, Pastor, why don't you ever preach on Revelation? Oh, he said, Bob, it's too controversial. Well, I know, but it's the Word of God. Well, he said, I think it could split the church. But it's the Word of God. (laughs) And we went round and round, you know. He had all kinds of... He didn't want to touch it with a ten-foot pole. He said, there are so many interpretations. There are so many ideas about it. I said, well, why don't you just preach it as the Holy Spirit will lay upon your heart? Just open the Word. Well, he said... uh, let me think about it. He never preached from Revelation. Oh, maybe a year or so passed. And uh, he brought it up. And he said, uh, Bob, he said, uh, you know, a couple years ago, right here in this restaurant, you asked me why I never preached from Revelation. Yeah. He said, I have no, un- I have no idea what it's all about. I haven't got the slightest clue. I said, well, as you read it, does the Holy Spirit... He said, well, I have to be honest, I haven't read anything out of Revelation for probably years. 
Now, I'm not indicting my friend Howard Hampson, who is now with the Lord, but it spoke to my heart. How can I know what's in this book if I've never read it? If I've never studied it? If I don't know what the issues are? If I would go to Howard and say, Howard, tell me what are your thoughts concerning the second coming, eschatology they call it in theology. What about the Antichrist? What about the white horse of Revelation? What about the tribulation? Men ask you that, don't they? The Jehovah Witnesses come to your home. The Seventh-day Adventists. All kinds of cults and isms, the New Age and so forth. Gentlemen, we are to know this book. And this is the hour of laymen to get into this book and to know it. Then we can understand what is justice and righteousness and equity at every good path. Well, <laughs> beginning with verse 12... Why all of that? Therefore, or verse 12 says, The if and the then is to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from men that speak perverse things. There in the business world, those who leave the paths of, uh, of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice to do evil and delight in the perverseness of wicked. Those ways are crooked, and they are perverse in their walk. We're living in that day, aren't we? It seems like every work of, uh, of darkness is having a heyday. But how do you know what is the good way, the right way, God's way, the Bible way, unless... We spend the time in verses 1 through 4. Then we can understand. The Holy Spirit enlightens the eyes of our understanding to know, hey, that's right. But you notice there's a second result. Not only in verse 12, but in verse 16. Not only to deliver you from the way of evil men, but verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman, even from the foreigner who flattereth with her words, her body, her perfume. I don't want to encroach upon Bill's message. But I know that the knowledge of God and getting to know this book and the Christ of this book is one of the chief ways of keeping clean. From the, and you know, the strange woman and the foreign woman are not just strangers or foreigners. It's somebody who's not walking the same path you're walking to craft a godly lifestyle. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go into her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. Boy, 
you talk about an ultimatum. There it is. And yet, because I am unwilling to pay the price of verses 1 through 4, and therefore I don't know the knowledge of God, I don't know what justice and righteousness and all the rest of that stuff he's talking about there in verse 9. I'm susceptible. I'm a candidate. And women today don't make it easier for us, huh? Who was Solomon writing to? My son. Why wasn't Solomon listening to his own proverbs, huh? Read about him. The downfall of his life was many wives. Women got his eyes off of his God. The application is in verse 20. If, then, therefore, the application, that you may walk in the way of good men. I like that, huh? Following the step the footsteps of godly men. My daddy was a YMCA secretary when I was a little kid, and we traveled around a bit, and he ended up in Chicago having left the Y. And as many of you older men know, the Y after World War One left Christian out and because of money became pretty much of an athletic organization there are pockets where the Y is still good but by and large across the board the YM and the YWCA uh, became a secular organization and it was that time that my dad left and he became Dean of Men at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and uh, as a kid I grew up right on the grounds of Moody Institute. As Dean of Men, he had to live right there, as did the Dean of Women. She had to live right there. Because that was this flock of young Bible students were their responsibility. And so our family lived right there on Chestnut Street in Chicago. At that time, there was a very godly Episcopalian bishop that was president of Moody Institute. His name was James Gray. And he always wore one of those little black hats that the priests or the bishops of the Episcopal Church wore. And he usually had a black suit. And I can remember so vividly, I was waiting for my daddy. I was probably, oh, maybe eight, nine, somewhere along in there. And uh, his office was at 153 Institute Place there uh, on the campus. And uh, I was sitting there, and I had some snow, and I was making a snowball, and uh, waiting for my dad. And uh, Dr. Gray came down the steps and uh, said, Hi, Bobby. And I said, I'm waiting for my daddy. And he said, Fine, he'll be down just a little while. And my temptation was to take that snowball and see if I could hit that little black hat off. (laughs) I thought, you know, I wonder what's under that black hat. Has he got hair? Uh, is he bald? You know, you know the urge. Satan, get behind me, and or give me strength to throw it straight. But I resisted, and uh, there was enough snow uh, on this two place, which is a dead, dead street, that 
he was taking, he was a short fellow as I remember, pretty large steps and walking over to, I guess the parking lot, I don't remember where he's walking to. And so I thought, well, I wonder if I could get into those steps. And so I was a little fellow and so I'd take a step and uh, I'd try to reach to the next step and to the next step and I almost got across the street and I gave it up as a bad job turned around and there was my dad standing up there at the top of the stairs of 153 building and uh, he said what are you doing son oh I said I was trying to walk in the footsteps of Dr. Gray he said do it the rest of your life well you know a 7 year 8 year old kid there's not going to be snow on the ground the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Gray's going to be dead and gone, you know. I had no idea the image that he was trying to portray to me. I can remember years later, probably teenager, whenever, uh, Dad lived to be 94, and uh, I can remember telling him about that story. He'd forgotten about it. And I said, what did you mean? He said, well, he's one of the great Bible teachers of America. A godly leader of men. In those days, this would be back in the 1930s, fundamentalism was a big thing, offsetting liberalism, modernism of the church. And Dr. Gray was one of the leaders out there in front for the fundamentals of the faith. So when my dad said, Always walk in the footsteps of Dr. Gray. Ah, ah. You never forget those things, huh? Dad. That's our opportunity. Solomon says to my son in verse 20, Walk in the ways of Dr. James M. Gray. Walk in the steps. Find somebody who's heading the right direction and hang on to his shirt tail. Can I follow in your footsteps? Can I get some time with you? How did you get to know the Bible? How did you hack out some period of time in your life when you got into that book? How do you memorize Scripture? How do you pray that's meaningful? You may walk in the ways of good men and then keep the paths of the righteous. And I think keep the paths of righteousness means stay, stay, stay right with it. If you get headed in the right direction, that's what that little verse that I quoted this morning that Botna shared with me in Mongolia. Having put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your eyes on the coming of Jesus Christ. Keep your heart in the book. Huh? Because, verse 24, if you but walk in the ways of good men and keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright shall dwell in the land, and the mature, the perfect, shall remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Lord, I want your help in crafting a godly lifestyle.
Lord, you're the craftsman of all men. You have taken this piece of oak. You're doing. And you have fashioned it into what I am. Now, on the interior of my life, make me into a man of God. But the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. What's the godly like? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. They don't hang around uh, Cleveland, do they? They're high altitude trees. They're part of the birch family. Beautiful tree. Come out to Colorado at the end of September when gold runs riot in Colorado. Because the aspen turned from a brilliant green to this gorgeous gold. All over the hillsides, above 8,000, 9,000 feet. Beautiful. What's it good for? Construction? Yeah, it's a soft wood. Mining, shoring up the mine? No, it doesn't hold anything. Really, the aspen would have nothing of much commercial value. But I look at the tree, I love it. It's God's creation. He made them, huh? God didn't want all the trees to be evergreen. He didn't want them all to be oaks. Or whatever else you had. I was so beautiful last night walking down your street. What are those trees? Pear trees? Man, beautiful and blossom. Where'd they get a name like that? Those ugly trees. That was gorgeous. But it's God's handiwork, huh? (laughs) Poems are written. Messages are brought by fools like us. But only what? God can make a tree. And so I thank God for the aspen. But the problem is what we don't see in the aspen. The oak, he's got, they've got that tap root that goes way down, huh? The hardwoods, the hickories and so forth. Deep root system. Do you know about the aspen? (laughs) Oh, the beavers love these trees. It's soft. They love uh, the, the branches. They'll cut them down and they'll drag them for a quarter of a mile to build their dams. Because they, they fell real easy. Why? They have no root system. It's shallow. You can take a pretty good size, uh, oh, much bigger than, almost this size of an aspen tree, and you can get it going back and forth 
and those roots will come right out of the ground. We have a late fall, early fall snowstorm, and aspen love to hang together. There's all over right together. They're in groves. And the way they stand up is they interlock their root system. And that's okay for these boys to have an interlocking root system with other boys and, and, and men and their family and so forth. But to stand alone. And you don't have any depth to your root system. The wind comes and what happens? Over you go. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit, his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall what? Prosper. Psalm 1, 3. Crafting a godly lifestyle. Got any questions? <laughs> you're a very gracious audience. I don't know whether you're sitting there in amazement or asleep or wondering if it's still raining so we can't play outside or ready to go to bed or got any questions at all about anything here on you are going to read chapter 6 aren't you for tomorrow afternoon absolutely <laughs> well somebody's awake yeah how did you carve out your time to get after Thank you. I was asked to do a plumbing job for uh, the navigators. I didn't want to do it. My wife loved them, said do it for my sake, even if they don't pay. And uh, so I did. And we, uh, they were in California at the time. And so I took my estimator, Charlie Davis, down with me. And I said, it's a half bath, so it'll probably cost us about 250, or I mean, with our profit in it, 250, cost us about 120 dollars, and just a little percentage profit in there. And uh, well, you know how plumbers are. And uh, uh, so we went down there, and he ran the line out to the sewer line and the permit, and I was talking to. Uh, these guys uh, who represented the navigators, Lauren, Sandy, and uh, oh, let's see who else was it? Wasn't Charlie Riggs? But there were three or four of the guys there. And uh, so Chuck came in and he had it written out on his pad, five hundred and thirty dollars. And I thought, what in the world are we putting in here? And so I took him off to one side to check it, and he said, well, you wanted a nice margin of profit, and you didn't want to do the business, so I figured this was a way to cream the job. <laughs> so uh, I said, okay, so we gave it to them, and they looked at it, and wow, that's quite a bit of money. And I said, yeah, I said, you've probably gotten some other estimates. And they said, no, we haven't. Uh, we were told we could trust you. <laughs> So uh, our cost in it with uh, city permit and all uh, was probably $140 or so. So I thought, well, I should do something. So I took the guys out for lunch. And uh, so I thought for 50, 60 bucks, well, I could kind of save my conscience. And at that luncheon, uh, huh, names slipped my mind. 
said, uh, do you like to play touch football? I said, oh man, I love that. He said, well, on Saturday mornings we go over to the Royal Seco, the, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and we play touch football for a couple hours from 10 to 12 each Saturday morning. If you'd like to join us, I'd, we'd love to have you. Well, I'd never been around a bunch of guys like that. But to play touch football, two-hand touch football, that's, that's something else. So I joined them. And they never said a word to me about anything religious or spiritual or anything like that. We just played touch football and sat around. But after three or four weeks, they were sitting around and they were discussing a Bible study that they were having with their wives. And without my knowing it, or at least consciously, I said, how does a guy get in on something like that? And uh, one of them just said, all you have to do is ask. So I said, well, I'm asking. And uh, so Lauren Sandy said, well, Lucy and I would love to have you and Marion come over to the house and let's see how we can get started. And uh, that was 1951. And one of the first things he said to me, he said, Bob, uh, do you have a scripture memory plan? I said, no, but as a kid, why... Uh, raised in the church like I was, we had to memorize a lot of psalms because those were the only songs we could sing in our church. So we just had to memorize them. And by the way, that song that we sang, uh, he's the lifter up of my head, that's Psalm 3, uh, verse 3. And uh, that was one of the songs we used to sing in our church. Not that little chorus, but that whole song. Well, he said, no, but I mean, uh, do you, are you memorizing Scripture with a purposeful plan of application. And I said, no, I got a few verses. Uh, I'm glad he didn't ask because it would have been Jesus wept or, um, <laughs> you know, John 3.16 or, you know, the, the, the old, you know, I had no, I, you know, I was just bluffing it. And sitting around here uh, in their home with Marion and uh, Lucy and Lauren, he said, if you'd like to, why, I'll help you get started. Well, that was just like saying sick him to a bulldog because I hated to be shown up. It was pride. And if Lauren Sani could do it, why, Bob Foster could do it. And uh, my motives weren't pure. But with my wife, she wanted to study the Bible. And so Lauren and Lucy and Mary and I studied the Bible together for almost two years before he moved to Colorado. And then we got started with others, couples. And then I got some of my crew down at the plumbing shop started. And we had Bible study. And I started with those that we knew. And then uh, Rod Sargent was one of the other guys. And uh, we lived near Eagle Rock, California. And there's an eagle. Looks, uh, look, a rock looks like an eagle. And we would brown bag it. And we'd go up there and sit under the Eagle Rock at lunch, eat our lunch, and then he'd re- help me to memorize scripture. Are you acquainted with the Navigator scripture memory plan called the TMS, Topical Memory System? You can buy it in the local bookstore. If they don't, they can order it for you. It, it, in, the, in the day in which I was doing it, it was 108 verses. Now it's 60 verses. And uh, it's just a wonderful way to get started. It teaches you how to memorize it's a topical memory system, TMS, put out by the navigators. Now, there's other great plans. 
but it, it teaches you how to get started. And that's how I got started. And uh, it took me almost two years to memorize those 108 verses. Because in those days, you had to say them word perfect at one sitting. And I'd get up into the 80s or 90s and I'd screw up and, and I couldn't finish. And, and then he said, well, work on them and come back again next uh, lunch and we'll try it again. And I finally got them worked over. And uh, still working on verses today. And my jacket, which I didn't wear, and I'm sorry that my name tag's on my jacket, why well, I, I have my memory pack with me. And when I sit in the airplane, my... I review verses and uh, flying from Colorado Springs to Atlanta yesterday. Why uh, the guy next to me says, "What's that you're, you got there in those little cards?" I said, "Oh, I'm trying to memorize something." He said, uh, "Something for your work?" And I said, "Yeah, it is." And uh, I said, uh, "You know, it always helps me if I can have somebody review, uh, see if I'm saying them right." <laughs> So he said, yeah, I'd be glad to help you. So I gave him uh, this little packet with these cards in it. He looked at it. He says, you're a preacher. <laughs> I says, no. I said, I have a guest ranching cow. Well, what are you doing this for? I said, well, I'd be glad to answer that. But I said, uh, we're getting close to Atlanta. Why don't you listen to some of these, see if I can say them right. <laughs> and... Uh, so we, we came, and these were a bunch of old verses, and uh, I meet with uh, our head wrangler, I meet with our head cook, uh, Chef Richard, and uh, Dace is our head wrangler, and uh, Bob down in the corral. And I meet with them each uh, one, one morning a week, individually. Three mornings a week I'm with one of those guys, and they're all memorizing scripture, and so I'm trying to stay fresh with them, but they're all working through the TMS. So... Flying into Atlanta, uh, I said, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, the new life in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And he stepped on. He said, well, I'll be a son of a gun. He said, I've never seen that before. And uh, I said, well, have you read the Bible? He said, oh, yeah. He said, uh, my folks are very religious. I went to Sunday school. He said, is, is that really in the Bible? Yeah. What's it mean? <laughs> and all the way down to touchdown. Why, well, uh, we discussed what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is. Isn't that fun? Oh, that makes the Christian life so exciting. Wow. So, well, time's gone. And time for recreation, and it's 4 o'clock. And uh, get your heart set tonight because Bill is on and uh, he's going to rattle your cage like it's never been rattled. And we're going to need all the time we can and eat a big big dinner uh, so you're ready for the stuffings. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you that a man wrote to his son to prepare him how to take over leadership in a godly fashion. And here this afternoon, thousands of years later, 
3,000 years later you're saying to us gentlemen if you want to lead your home your church, your community, your business the city of Cleveland you better start right now crafting a godly lifestyle righteousness exalts a nation sin is a reproach to any people help us to be on the positive side in thy name I pray Amen Thanks a lot, Bob. Bob has uh, shared with us this principle of uh, crafting a godly life. Over on the table here, we have several books that uh, CBMC feels will aid in that process of crafting a godly life. One book in particular, there, there are those of us here in uh, discipleship who use Operation Timothy, among other materials. And in the back of that book is uh, Seven Minutes with God, which is authored... So we invite you to take a look at that and uh, among the other materials there. Well, it's uh, free time. Uh, Brett Reinhart is going to lead that effort, and he has some uh, words regarding that. Um, here we have uh, some foosball tables. Everybody's been.